Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This episode is a interview with uh, Zoya Stage, who is the author of Wonderland, which we reviewed, uh, I think, just a few episodes ago. Um, we really enjoyed Baby Teeth when it came out, and we're lucky enough to be, I think, her first ever podcast interview, at least as an author. So um, that was awesome. And uh, she agreed to come back on and talk to us. Uh, a little bit more. So here's a quick bio before we jump into that interview. Uh, she is the USA Today and international best-selling author of Baby Teeth, published in the UK under the title Bad Apple. The novel will soon be available in more than a dozen countries. Baby Teeth was a USA Today bestseller, a People Book of the Week, and voted by Barnes & Noble, Bloody Disgusting, Goodreads, and Forbes as one of the best horror books of 2018. Also voted by Booked as the best horror book of 2018. Uh, the best book of 2018, horror or not. Uh, it was optioned for film by Village Roadshow slash Valparaiso Pictures. Her next novel, Wonderland, uh, was published by Mulholland Books, July 14th. Uh, she lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, we've been looking forward to this for um, for quite some time. Wonderland was terrific. You could skip back, I don't know, four episodes or so and hear our review there. Um, you're going to hear our interview here, but for the first time ever, ever, ever in the history of Booked, um, we have <laughs> spoiler interview. So if you are a Patreon contributor at any level, um, and, and I would strongly recommend that you would, would have read Wonderland before you go listen, because we go right to like the last page um, in, in this <laughs> We have like five or six questions um, that we can't do here because we would spoil it for anybody that's listening. But it's uh, it's questions that Rob and I demanded answers to or really <laughs> asked nicely if we could do this. Um, and we're doing it in a way that um, a benefits our, our patrons um, and B keeps it um, safe for people to listen to this particular interview you're listening to without getting any spoilers. So if you're interested, head over to patreon.com slash booked and check that out after you're done listening to this, our terrific interview with Zoya Stage. Zoya, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. We were looking forward to Wonderland for a long time and absolutely uh, excited to get you on to talk about it. So, so thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So it's been um, a couple of weeks now since we uh, told our listeners all about Wonderland. How about you give them a refresher in your own words? Sure. Yeah. Wonderland is about an artsy-fartsy New York City family. The mom and wife, Orla, is just retiring from a career in ballet, and it's kind of her husband's turn to pursue his artistic passions. And he has his heart set on moving back to the Adirondacks, which is an area near where he grew up. So right on the cusp of winter, they move with their two young children, Eleanor Queen and Tico, up to the middle of nowhere in the Adirondacks. And they soon start experiencing some, you know, first it's bad weather, which that kind of makes sense. You know, it's almost winter, but things continue to get stranger and harder. And, and Orla is very confused. She doesn't know, you know, is she just such a hardcore city person that she doesn't know how things are out in the wilderness, as she always refers to it. Um, or she thinks, well, maybe there's global warming that's made everything worse, or maybe they're having cabin fever. So she's really trying to explore all of these possibilities for why the family's having these very strange reactions to things that are happening and why they seem to be experiencing these very inexplicable things. And so to make a long story short, there reaches a point where 
she absolutely cannot pretend anymore. She can't ignore. She has to find a solution. She has to understand what's happening and find a solution for it or her family is not going to survive. So that's the basics. Um, so we're going to dig into, obviously, different parts of, of the story. But one of the things um, that registered pretty early on and even probably is obvious based on what you said is that some of the characters have um, unique names. And I, uh, first of all, I have to apologize for saying Tycho in our review. Oh, um, a lot of people pronounce it that way. But. Yeah. Uh, so is there uh, a specific origin for those names or um, is it just, that's what the characters are named? I mean, really, I blame it on Orla and the origins come from Orla and from her life and their experiences. So, I mean, I have gotten a lot of feedback, shall we say, about the strange names. And, but, you know, I really consider it a character thing, you know, that they live in a very creative world and those were names that were meaningful to them. And I think, I think both of the character names are explained at least briefly in the book. So it's really that they're more meaningful names to Orla and to Shaw rather than me. I mean, I probably would not name children as they name <laughs> their children. So I would just like to say that I was fascinated both before and after the explanation for Eleanor Queen. I thought it was adorable. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I really, really liked that. And and I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad you explained it. Like it was, it was, I, I liked it perfectly before the explanation and the explanation didn't, you know, didn't change my mind on it. So I, but I'm glad you did. Um, before we go on more with the story, when we were um, chatting through email, I know that you had some thoughts around the commentary we had regarding Wonderland being billed as Shirley Jackson meets the shining. Yes. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to, Give us your thoughts on that. Well, it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword. When my editor first wrote that as kind of the blurb for the book, my first reaction was, wow, that's kind of brilliant. I would pick up a book that was described like that. And I know for myself as a reader, I can be I can be really picky about what books do I want to read and what is the terminology that's used that makes me want to read a book. So I love that part of it because I knew I would pick up a book that was described that way. But then on the flip side, as an author, because believe me, I went through this with baby teeth and the way it was described too, I knew I was being set up for a hundred million people to say, it's nothing like Shirley Jackson or it's nothing like The Shining. <laughs> so I knew that that, I mean, that is what happens when somebody, and it, I don't think all readers realize this, that it's not the writers who make the decisions about how these things are marketed or blurbed at, or what they're compared to. And it seems like some readers take it as a challenge to like prove that those books are nothing like the books, the great books that they're being compared to. So yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It draws some people in, but it definitely makes other readers go, wait a minute, I don't know. So yeah. And, and honestly, like I, even when we were talking about it, um, we, I think me and Livius tend to get a little bit overboard with some of our thoughts sometimes, but like, just like you said, I see both sides of it. Like it's, it's an obvious promotional, um, approach that like, right. that, um, draws people in. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, like it, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it then sets you up for everything you just said. Um, so yeah, 
like i guess i guess at the end of the day you have to put everything on the scales and see did it get more people to read it or complain or the people who did (laughs) complain read it so i guess you win anyway (laughs) i mean it's it is tricky because i mean there's so many things that people can do with their time you know in terms of what book they're going to read or what they're going to watch and sometimes you really only have 10 seconds to capture someone's yeah. interest so the shirley jackson you know meets the shining is kind of like the 10 second if you only know you know the tiniest thing about it is that enough to keep you going to find out a little bit more so i think it's a i think it's effective in that way honestly i think that um uh from a from a personal perspective of doing this podcast so long um, we've seen some some of the writers who just are trying to emulate certain things instead of finding their own voice. And so, like when I see those types of connections, sometimes I think, you know, I, it, it's like PTSD for people just trying to be other people sometimes too. Right. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. I know I really should not be reading reader reviews, but I find them interesting. So I have been reading them, and it's funny because sometimes. There have been a few times where um, readers have said, oh, well, this this book is obviously inspired by and then they rattle off a list of titles. <laughs> and honest to God, I have not read those titles. Some of them are books I've never even heard of. <laughs> so I find it like fascinating where somebody could like dismiss my book for being completely derivative for a piece of work I've never read. So well and it's it's so i don't know if people in the i don't know 1800s had it easier right because there weren't already like 10 million stories told right. at that point to come up with something that i mean that completely is original right because if you have a family and you isolate them now it's the shining and it doesn't you know what i mean it doesn't matter how different the rest of your story is that would be what somebody would would call the inspiration for you know i mean i could probably come up with some other you know pretty obvious ones but yeah it's um it's what you do with that story i think that really really you know i think so i mean that's what they say there's really the same story over and over and over again. There are slight variations for genre, but you know there is a lot of repetition in the basic concept of stories. And I do take it that, yeah, it's the characters that you bring to it and it's who you bring as yourself as an author and your own sensibilities and what you bring to it. I know people have asked me before, like if I try to write like other authors, and I would never, ever, ever like set that as a goal for myself. And for one thing, I have a terrible memory. So like if my goal was, oh, my God, how would so-and-so handle this? Well, I would never remember it because I have a terrible memory. But I also just wouldn't do that. I mean, for me, that's not the point of books. Books are, for me, entertaining and reading and thought-provoking and all of the things that they are for other readers. I don't read them and say, oh, my God, now I'm going to learn how to do exactly this. So, yeah, that's not my approach. I feel we could probably do an entire like podcast series on on the mm-hmm. the little conversation we just uh we just started on on the Shirley Jackson meets meets the shining um but anyway uh I'm I'm going to ham-handedly uh move in a different direction if that's okay uh so one of the things about uh not to contrast one book with another but that that was different with Wonderland was that um the supernatural element of the book so um i guess one of the 
this is a multi-part question, but I'll start out with, um, was that part of the story from the beginning or did that arrive somewhere in the process? It was supernatural from the beginning. So yes, it was. Gotcha. Um, and then, uh, as far as writing supernatural stuff, how did you find that versus, um, baby teeth, which was much more kind of rooted in like a pragmatic reality type situation. Right. I know, you know, I, I am quick to refer back to my film background, but honestly I did my film stuff a lot longer than I did novels. Mm -hmm. And I had a certain sensibility for who I was as a filmmaker and the kinds of stories I wanted to tell. And I, I always, you know, I was very inspired by European films, Scandinavian films, things that do things in a very realistic manner, like almost documentary-like. And so I was always interested in, in telling stories that seem very, very, very realistic, but always have something weird going on. Like that for me is the centerpiece of everything that I was interested in doing as a filmmaker. And I carried that right over into writing novels that I really want to explore what I think is real human behavior, but I want to do it in a very strange situation. And sometimes those situations may have supernatural elements. A lot of the times they probably won't because real life is strange enough as it is. Um, but it never, it never really occurred to me to not do one or the other. Perhaps if I'd been further along in Baby Teeth's publication, maybe I would have rethought that. Um, I had started writing Wonderland the week before Baby Teeth even sold. So I was a good mm. two years away from having anybody read my work, having anybody draw any conclusion about who I am as a writer or what kind of things I was going to continue to do. So I had no concept of that for myself. You know, I had no real concept of branding or anything like that. And I don't know if that really would have affected it. I mean, I really wanted to write Wonderland. There were things about this story I was really, really interested in. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I always want to be able to just explore the things that I want to explore. And I know that may make it harder for me in an industry that really wants you to have kind of a narrow slot so they know exactly where you belong. But mm -hmm. I want to write my dark, weird stories <laughs> with my realistic characters and have them explore whatever weird thing I throw at them. And I, I just want to do that. Well, um, I think... I think what I'm about to say reflects something that you said early in your answer was that with Wonderland, with all of the the stuff that happens and as it gets like increasingly um, unnatural, I guess, throughout the story, I feel like what that did was it pushed the the reader or the characters or whatever to examine how they're reacting as people to this crazy situation. So it wasn't like... Oh, there's, you know, like it wasn't a story that focused on look at this supernatural stuff. It was like, look at these people dealing with the supernatural stuff. Right, right. You know, I think sometimes readers might, and I could, I could understand why readers would do this is they would say, oh my goodness, why is it taking Orla so long to figure it out? You know, even Baby Teeth had certain kinds of comments like that. But the thing is, from my perspective, Orla is a real person who does not know she's in a horror book. <laughs> <Right>. So, <laughs> 
she has no clue. And it's easy to say, it's easy to say like, oh, if I were out in a cabin in the Adirondacks and weird stuff started happening, I would catch on so much sooner. But we're all kind of reality grounded. It's like, would we really jump to that conclusion? Or would we think we're crazy? Or would we really be desperately searching for other answers? I mean, that is a hard leap to make in real life to say, this is supernatural. So I wanted to explore that. Like, what if somebody really had to, really had to make that leap, who maybe even wasn't comfortable with nature and had to Mm -hmm. explore, like, what else is out there in the spiritual realm that she's, like, never even thought about? So... I find it best to wait um, and listen carefully for the really spooky music. That's when you know you're in trouble. So until then, exactly. I, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about it. But yeah. that's, I like that, I like that <laughs> answer. She doesn't know she's in a horror book. So yeah, that's well, fair. And it, it, it's kind of goofy, but that made me think of um, if you've seen the movie Shaun of the Dead, when they're in the backyard and there's that zombie woman walking at them, and it takes forever for them to realize. It takes her getting like impaled on something and getting up to realize it's a zombie they just keep thinking she's drunk or or something so yeah I, I, that's yeah. that's what made me think of i think that's realistic hey that was a realistic scene in that movie yeah that's the thing like it took so long because like that there are no zombies so how could that be a zombie right. yeah right yeah <laughs> so um both wonderland and baby teeth focused really really heavily on family bonds so I, I guess I don't even know how to phrase this. I don't want to say like, was family important to you? Because if you answer no, then you're a terrible person, right? What is it you find about family bonds that that make it um, that that draw you to those? And again, I'm I'm doing this based on on a very small percentage of your right. life's work, but right. yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, baby teeth was very specific with a mother and daughter. Um, and in certain ways, like my imagining of Wonderland was honestly to take a family that was functioning better than the people in Baby Teeth. Like seriously, like have a mother who is not mm. conflicted, who's not insecure, who doesn't care what anybody thinks about her. Like I wanted them to be a family that was functioning, like really functioning quite successfully as a family. Which that sort of meant then that whatever conflict they were going to encounter, it was going to be from outside. I mean, I guess it could have been outside in the sense of a person or another situation, but obviously this was like way outside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I really, you know, after digging so deep in baby teeth with such a dysfunctional family, I wanted the chance to explore a mother's role who was really, you know, a very confident woman and who really got a chance, I think, to be heroic. So so it wasn't really that I'm obsessed with family per se. I do like the kinds of nuances that exist between weird and difficult relationships. And obviously families have a lot of weird and difficult relationships. But it was more about after baby teeth and a certain level of darkness in the family in that one, wanting to juxtapose it against a brighter, a brighter family, a happier family. Of course, then I made their lives hell, but, but you know, at least they were happy before that. So I tried. Um, I guess I want to flip back a little bit to, to a question that Rob had, had touched on a little bit. Um, so Supernatural, th- this is my non-writer's opinion, right? So Supernatural has no rules and writing 
writing a story that's very grounded in reality has a lot of rules. Is one easier or harder to write than the other? I think reality is harder. And honestly, you kind of hit the nail on the head too in terms of part of why I was interested in Wonderland and interested in having the option to explore supernatural things from time to time because it is a chance to kind of be liberated from the rules of the real world. Um, you know, when, when you're writing real world, it's, it can be incredibly hard to justify characters' actions because of how weird the real world is and how harsh our judgment is about what should or shouldn't be happening. So it's like you've got to do a lot, like twist yourself into a pretzel to really like say, no, nope, this is exactly how it would be. This is how this person would behave. Uh, because, of course, in real life, stranger things have happened than we could ever create in fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, but then getting to do a, something supernatural, it's like, no, 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 no. Then I can just kind of let my imagination go and kind of just come up with it, whatever I want. And that's very freeing, I have to say, creatively. So I'm going to dig into something very specific uh, since we're talking about writing the supernatural part of it. Uh, and I don't think this spoils anything in the story, but like uh, in a general way, nature kind of has an opinion in this book. And yes. um, so like specifically the thing there was one there, there's one thing and it's the um, I can't remember what they were called, but like when the snow rolls up, like as a, <laughs> you know, rollers. yeah, that natural phenomenon that i'm assuming actually really exists that's real yes that is real how you turn that into like one of the creepiest things i think was very cool and then also like the idea of not being sure of like were the trees there before like that kind of thing uh, so was there any kind of like i know some authors take things that are creepy to them and and put it into their work um, so what were you drawing on like, wow, that would scare the shit out of me or like, where did those types of ideas come from? Well, I really wanted to have this kind of mix of things that were not possible. I won't give examples, but I mean, it's pretty <laughs> obvious in places in the book of like, okay, I don't think this could really happen, but have that, you know, existing side by side with things that could happen because you know, it makes Orla more confused, you know, when she finds out early on that, oh, snow rollers are a real phenomenon, then it makes her more likely as things go on to think, okay, well, maybe this other thing is a real thing that happens in the natural world. Right. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess your question originally was about what, what is scary and how I, more like how I chose things about mm -hmm. what I thought was scary. I don't know. I don't know to what degree I thought of it through my own perception, um, because Orla is much more afraid of the out of doors than I am. So it was more about like trying to come up with things that she would think is scary. Because that was something I was <laughs> always very aware of, you know, that I would not walk into a forest and necessarily be frightened. But for her just to be in a forest and, you know, there's no street signs and no sidewalks. It's like that alone already puts her on edge. So I guess in terms of coming up with things that were scary, it was more, it was more thinking about like, what would, what would rattle the various members of the family in different mm -hmm. ways? Nice. Per personally, I'm with Orla. The thought of being in a forest terrifies me. 
Um, so, all right, moving along a little bit and, and maybe a little bit away from, from Wonderland. Um, it's been like two years now since Baby Teeth came out, right? Yes, exactly. So we, we understand that it's still trucking along rather nicely. My question, and we could talk about, you know, kind of the, the, the two years since Baby Teeth, but the, the bad apple naming overseas. <laughs> You've, yeah. you've, you've, you've he, had you can't let it go to process this <laughs> and I can't stop thinking about it. So I, I, I guess where, where, where did you settle on that? I mean, I never liked the title and I, and I never wanted them to use the title and the people on my team had begged the UK not to do that. Um, I think it was a big mistake. I still think it was a big mistake, but you know, they're in charge when they buy the rights to publish in their country, they can do whatever they want. So yeah, I don't know. That I mean, it's not only is it not a good title, because it's not a good title, but they really didn't get the benefit of all of Baby Teeth's buzz because people there didn't necessarily know that it, that that conversation was about the same book. And then the flip side, like I've had people give me a one-star review for Bad Apple on Amazon because they thought it was the sequel to Baby Teeth and they were so mad oh, that it no. wasn't. So it's just confusing. You know, when you have English language books with different titles, it confuses readers. So I think for that reason alone, they should not have done that. And at least not to have made the title so differently. Sometimes English language countries will change the title a little bit, but you know, it might still reference the same character or something. But this was just different enough that it was confusing. Um, I, it wouldn't have occurred to me to ask this, but again, it's been two years and, and you mentioned people thinking there was a sequel. I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Um, do, do you anticipate a sequel to Baby Teeth? I'm always afraid to answer that because I'm afraid people are going to hurt me. Um, but no, I don't. Okay. It's the question I get asked the most often and that I still get asked the most often. Um, I still maintain the book ended in the right place mm -hmm. and that almost every reader projects those characters into the future automatically. Yep. And I love that about it. And I feel like that's exactly how I want a book to end, that the characters exist off the page and they're already in the mind of the readers. So there's no way I could do a sequel that would be satisfying to the people who want a sequel. And of course I appreciate that they're invested in the characters and that they want to read more of that. I mean, I do really appreciate that, but I know I couldn't satisfy them. It just would not feel, it would not feel as good as baby teeth. It would end up seeming, talk about derivative. It would end up seeming super derivative and like a desperate plea to like try to make more money or something. It just wouldn't be good. That's a that's a can of worms too because if you want to talk about um, like a fan base and their expectations, um, we were talking about. So we loved, we reviewed and loved uh, the Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern that came out in like 2014, yep. and it took her eight years before her second novel came out, The Starless Sea, and we read and loved that too. We thought it was a great book, um, but it was getting killed in, in reviews because it wasn't like the night circus. <laughs> and it's like, right. look, like she wasn't trying to rewrite the night circus. She was trying to write the starless sea, which she did, which is a great story. But people, some people 
can't yeah. get can't get it out of their head that like oh here comes another night circus and so they're doing it to themselves but they're also doing it to the author right right i know it's i had not really thought about that honestly very much until my second book came out and i swear every review of wonderland starts (laughs) with it's not baby teeth Oh, that's crazy. Even the the ones who have something positive to say, it's like, it's not baby teeth. Uh, Not in a bad way. I mean, it's just, it's not baby teeth. And it's just so strange to me because I, I really did not know when baby teeth was published that the expectations were going to be among a group of readers that I'm just going to keep doing (laughs) something like really similar over and over and over again. It's like, am I supposed to write every book about a seven-year-old psychopath? I don't think that would be very convincing or entertaining but yeah i don't know i'm also though like i'm not in that culture of series and some people really are and they want to stay immersed in a world whether it's comics or books or movies and i'm so removed from that i don't know if it's an age thing or what but i'm so removed from that that that's just not part of my thinking at all and so perhaps for younger younger readers who are very immersed in those kinds of worlds and universes like that's what feels good to them is to have more things in that universe and it's like i get it i do get it but yeah i'm not going to be the person who (laughs) supplied that so Mm -hmm. yeah i uh i I tend to agree when i was younger i really liked longer series um but they all had the same thing by like book seven or eight you have either added if it was a supernatural base then you've added i I think like the tv show true blood is is the best thing i can equate it to like it starts out and there's just vampires but then there's like vampires and werewolves and then season three there's (laughs) witches and season four there's zombies and season five there's fairies and that's how any supernatural series i've read went Right. Um, and then, yeah, by book seven, you're like, all right, I can't even keep all this straight anymore. So I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm going to move on to something else. So, yes, I second that I think Baby Teeth ended perfectly and that it doesn't need one. And like I said, it wouldn't have even occurred to me to ask, but you had said something about people thinking it's the sequel. And I thought, wow, really? Because I don't really see that. I don't I didn't get that feeling from the end of Baby Teeth. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you think it ends in the right place. I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's. Now that you you actually opened up uh, something in my mind that I hadn't even thought about before about the younger people, um, maybe being more in in inclined to look for series and stuff is I was that person when I was younger where uh-huh. I found an author I liked to read and I read everything they read or that they wrote, and I didn't know how to branch out and find other stuff. Um, I just I found the thing that it was I was happy with and I just consumed as much as I could. And so maybe that is like a skill that you build over time is is not necessarily looking for I want more of this, but looking for, hey, I want to experience new things. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thought, because now I'm thinking back to when I was younger and I kind of did that, too. I mean, I didn't do it for like comics and things, but, mm-hmm. you know, I became obsessed with Dostoevsky and read Dostoevsky and then I became obsessed with Willa Cather and read Willa Cather and I did that with Ursula Le Guin and yeah no yeah, I, I, think, yeah. I think you're on to something that when you're younger <laughs> yeah maybe you don't know how to explore everything and and you don't know how broad your own interests might be that kind of makes sense well I got it from you and awesome. if you want to get really sentimental Livius is probably the one that helped me break out of that by re- recommending tons of awesome books so there you go 
I, I appreciate the endorsement. So um, what can we expect to see next from you? Is that going to be Wonderland 2? Is it? It is not yeah. going to be Wonderland. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, come on. So. <laughs> Actually, the next book, Hannah is going to go to the Adirondacks. And no, I'm just kidding. And she's <laughs> going to become friends with Eleanor Queen. No, um, I think, see, in my mind, at some point, I became aware that until I had three books published, people were maybe going to be a little bit confused about who I am as a writer. Partly because, you know, Baby Teeth is so realistic in a way and Wonderland has the supernatural element. But I think in the third book, it'll be it'll become clear of like, okay, okay, I get it. This Baby Teeth is this very internal story with these very tight relationships. And Wonderland has this very strong external element to it. And the third book has these very tight, complicated relationships in an external environment. So it's both. It has both of the strongest elements of Baby Teeth and Wonderland in a realistic environment. So that was a cryptic description. But um, I think then people will get it like, okay, there's they'll get it. They'll like, okay, she's going to write these dark stories. They'll, they'll have their suspense. People will realize I write these very internal characters. I like to have my characters in their heads, having these thoughts and trying to figure out what's going on. And that will probably continue with everything I write. And I like to set a scenes that that will all be there. Yeah. It'll all make sense. Trust me. Thank you for not saying romantic comedy. No, so. I would will not be doing that because I'm not romantic <laughs> and I'm not funny. So that won't happen. Uh, so before we wrap this up, is there anything that you want to plug either something of yours that we didn't mention or something else in the, in the book world or whatever that you're excited about right now? Um, I'm actually really excited about the book. I just read, I know you guys have already read it. Survivor song by Paul Tremblay. Mm hmm. I've been having this huge problem reading and concentrating during the pandemic. Just my brain has not been in full working order. And that was the first book since, I don't know, since sometime before March, where I just sat down and I just had to read this book and I did not want to put it down and I didn't want to do anything else. I just wanted to read this book. And my huge takeaway from this book, I know people will think this is strange. It's kind of this zombie pandemic story. I found it to be so hopeful and especially to be hopeful because of what we're going through right now, because there was such a strong human element in that story. And I felt like the presence of hope was so tangible and it made me feel better. So that's the book I would plug right now is Survivor Song. It's a great book. It absolutely is a great book. Um, I don't know if you heard our review or not, but I cried a lot while reading that book. Oh. So. Yes, I started crying. I think it was page 80. I think yeah, it was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Early. I know. Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think you two should gear up and do your own <laughs> podcast. Horror novels that make you cry. Things I cried reading, yeah. 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 Well, Zoya, thank you so much for taking time to come on and talk to us about Wonderland. We appreciate it. And we hope we hope to have you back soon with book three. Thank you so much. All right. As expected, 
excellent conversation with Zoya Stage about Wonderland and, uh, you know, stuff beyond that as well. I, uh, like, we've only had her, this is only the second time we've had her on, but um, uh, there's something about, I, I just feel like it's a very comfortable conversation, like you're talking to a friend you've known forever. I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, so, yes, big thanks to Miss Stage for joining us again. Um, thanks for letting us know there's a book three coming out. I'm very excited about <laughs> that. I can, I can start being excited now. Rob. Now I can start being excited and I can mention it to you. You can start the new, for... the new Zoya stage calendar is going up tonight. Yes, exactly. So um, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, in the event that you forgot, patreon.com slash booked. Contributors at any level will have access to, I think it was five or six questions that we asked that were very, very specific, very spoilery questions about the book mm-hmm. Wonderland. So like I always say about spoiler talk, don't listen if you haven't read it or if you really have no intention of reading it and just want to hear what questions we could possibly have about this book that we, you know, ask someone to to take uh, some time to go, you know, off air here to do. Um, they're available over on Patreon. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Join us very soon. I think uh, we can pretty much say that the next episode you're going to get is another interview. And this time it's going to be with Josh Mallerman um, about Mallory and probably a bazillion other other topics as well so join us uh very soon in the next few days for that until then i'm rob olson and i'm olivia snudden keep reading